Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It is ranked number one in Google for New Jersey SEO company and New Jersey internet marketing. Check out their information in our show notes. Today's podcast is part 15 of the Walking Backwards series. John has been teaching on Sunday mornings at Church in the Woods, Freedom Ranch. Check out all the information in our show notes. Without further delay, here's John. I'm going to get back to our study that we've been doing now, and we're getting close to wrapping it up. I'm, I entitled the study according to the, the book that I'm working on, Walking Backwards. Now, walking backwards is just another term for walking like Jesus walked. You know, when I went to the taken one trip to the quote Holy Land over in Israel years ago when Angela was just a little baby and uh, was praying on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee we spent the night there and got up early in the morning and was walking around just asking the Lord what he wanted to tell me, et cetera. And I was a little disappointed, really, to be honest with you. Because here I was, walking where Jesus walked. You know, there's a lot of traditional sites in Israel, so, you know, he may or may not have been there. Right? But the Sea of Galilee is still the same. Okay? And I was walking on the seashore where Jesus walked. With his disciples. But I didn't feel anything except jet lag. I hadn't even had a cup of coffee that morning. And so I asked the Lord, I said, What's up with this, Lord? I'm I'm walking where you walked. And I don't feel anything at all except tired. And he asked me one question. He said, you're walking where I walk. Will you walk the way I walk? And I thought, hmm, I wonder what he's talking about. And it was at that, that point, actually, that I said, Lord, show me. Show me what you're talking about. Now, that was years ago, and I can tell you it's never been the same. To walk the way Jesus walked on this earth is a radically different lifestyle. That's why I call it walking backwards. And we've been looking at various parts of that, various issues, but the primary thing is we're walking in a totally new lifestyle. 
a lifestyle that is absolutely different, totally different than the lifestyle we've been raised up to walk, the lifestyle we've been conditioned in this world to live. And I don't have to remind you of how backwards that lifestyle really is. You know, Jesus laid it out pretty clearly. He said, if you want to live, you're going to have to die. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If you want to be the first, you're going to have to be the last. If you want to be great, you're going to have to be a servant of all. So Jesus himself knew how radically different his lifestyle was while he was here on earth. But he set us an example. Now, the critical thing that we have to understand about the difference between the way Jesus walked and the way we naturally grow up and learn to live in this world, the natural lifestyle, there's one critical difference. And we've been emphasizing that in every study. And that is the natural lifestyle. That is the way we normally live our lives, conditioned by the world in which we live. is a lifestyle of law and lies. It's a legalistic lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of performance. We're trying as hard as we can to do what we think is right. It's a lifestyle that is naturally abusive, not only to ourselves, but to other people. Because it's a lifestyle that's self-centered. A lifestyle that can't see past your nose. A lifestyle, as we've studied here recently out of Ephesians chapter 4, a lifestyle of confusion, of ignorance, and of blindness. And a lifestyle that hurts. It causes us pain on a personal level. And therefore, a lifestyle that leads naturally to all kinds of addictions and dysfunction. That's the normal lifestyle. Now, you can kind of tweak that if you want to. You can try to, you know, make, it, make up for it here and there. But that lifestyle will always end in death. Not just physical death. It'll end in a personal death. It'll end in a relational death and a social death. That lifestyle is a lifestyle of misery, actually. Now, opposed to that, in contrast to that natural lifestyle we've all been involved in, we've all been conditioned to live, is the supernatural lifestyle of grace and truth represented by Jesus. So here we are. We've got a decision here we can make. Do I want to continue in my natural lifestyle of law and lies? Or do I want to learn to walk in a new lifestyle, a lifestyle of grace and truth, to live my life like Jesus lived his life when he was here? 
Now, when you stop and consider that, it's really a privilege that we have. Can you imagine the privilege to live like Jesus did? And that's available to every one of us. He made it so. In fact, he promised us if we believe on him, we will live that lifestyle. And so today what I wanted to talk about is living out a lifestyle and walking in what the Bible calls good works. Now, in order to understand that, we're going to focus in on one verse, but I want to read the context with you so you understand what this verse is about, really about. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to back up from chapter 1. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter, or back up from chapter 4 and go back to chapter 2, where he describes, first of all, the natural lifestyle and its result, and then begins to introduce this new lifestyle to us. In verse 1, he says, In you hath he quickened, that is, made alive, who were dead in trespasses. That's a good contrast between the two, isn't it? The natural lifestyle is death. The supernatural lifestyle is life, eternal life. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. That's the conditioning of the world. We were all conditioned by it. According to the prince of the power of the air, according to the devices and designs of Satan, according to the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. That's, remember, that's King James' word for lifestyle. We all live that way. That's the way we grew up. That's the way we were trained. We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Not a very pretty description of that lifestyle, is it? But God, I always like those, it's called in the Greek, it's called an aversive Allah. And it's translated, but. Here you are walking in this natural lifestyle of misery and death. But God, here comes God now. He's intervening in it. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened or made alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Every time I read this, I'm amazed. I've probably read this passage a hundred times. I don't know how many over my life. But each time I read it, I'm even more amazed of what God has done for us we couldn't do for ourselves. Here we are conditioned by this present world that is in opposition to God, conditioned to live 
our life according to those, what he calls the desires of the flesh. That is, the desire to make yourself okay. That's the desires of the flesh, by the way. As I explained to you when we were talking about our thinking last week, these are the, what I would call the I will be worthy ifs. I'll be worthy if I get more money. I'll be worthy if I can get a nicer house. I'll be worthy if I have a better car. I'll be worthy if people like me. I'll be worthy if I can get married. I'll be worthy if I can have kids. I'll be worthy if I can get a divorce. I'll be worthy if my kids won't come and live with me. I mean, there's a thousand millions of lies about your worth as a person that goes through our mind continually. This is what he calls the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Here we are consumed by that, but God, because of his great mercy and his love for us, intervened. And he just burst out in that, and how he intervenes. By grace are we saved. Going on in the chapter, he says, Even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And not only has he made us alive in Christ, given us that new identity in Christ, made a new person out of us to walk a new lifestyle, but listen to this. On top of that, he says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. What God has already done in the spirit realm has raised us up together with Christ into the heavenlies and made us sit together with Christ in the heavenlies in an exalted position. That's how worthy you are. God raised you up and made you to sit together. Now, I can't help but think when he says made you to sit together, why it is we're going to have to learn to get along with each other here because we're going to be sitting with each other up there in heaven. The personal benefits of this is astounding. And so he goes on to emphasize here why God does that. That in the ages to come, throughout all eternity, in the ages to come, he, that is God, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So God wants to reveal something to us. He wants to reveal to us the riches of his grace toward us. You know, people get the wrong idea of God, who he is, and what he wants. And the most natural idea from the lifestyle we've been conditioned is that God's mad. He's mad at you because you're such a screw-up. That's why he's mad at you. You don't do what he tells you to do. You don't follow his commands. And so he's mad at you. But nothing could be further from the truth. 
those who were dead in sins and trespasses didn't do what God wanted them to do. Those who were dead in sins and trespasses were enemies with God. But God intervened to transform them from the inside out. So he announces, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. This isn't something you've done for yourself or anyone else. This is something God done. For by grace are you saved by faith. All you did was believe what he said was true. That's it. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Now, if we stopped right there, we would get this idea. Some people have this idea, which is false. We get this idea that, okay, here we are going along. We're dead in sins and trespasses. We can't do anything about that. Dead men can't save themselves. But God came along, made us alive by his grace, gave us a brand new identity in Christ, and all that that means. And he did that on his own. Without our participation, the only thing we did was trust him, believe in him. Believe what he said is true. That's all we did. God did the rest. Because it was a gift of God, not of works. See, to receive this new life and this new lifestyle that comes with it, you can't earn it. You can't make it happen. It's not of works. It's the gift of God. And He's given it to you. He's already given it. He gave it to us when Jesus died on the cross. The gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so now, if we stopped right there, we would think, okay, well, there's nothing for me to do. I'm just going to hang out, I guess, right? And a lot of people get caught in that trap. They think that once they have trusted Jesus as their personal Savior, once they have been born again, born from above, as Jesus called it, once they are, quote, saved, but that's it. You just kind of got to tread water until you go to heaven, right? No, what we're concerned with was what happens now. What do we do right now? Having received this gift from God, how do we live it out? And so he goes on in the next verse to focus in on what we're going to talk to you about today. He says in verse 10, for... We, all of us, are His workmanship. We are the result of what God has done. Created in Christ Jesus. 
We have a new life in Christ. We've become a new person created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, the verse previous, he said, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. But now he's saying, listen, what God did for you and giving you this gift, he created you in Christ Jesus for a purpose, for a reason. He simply calls it here, good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in it. So your life, your lifestyle in this world is already planned by God. Did you know that? Yeah. He's ordained that you and only you can do the works that He has ordained for you. And so... I've emphasized that so you don't get confused here. We're not talking about you doing good works to gain God's blessings. Okay. A lot of the, every religion has that in common. Okay, every religion has one thing in common, and that is you got to figure out what rituals to perform, how to act in order to get God or the gods, whoever you believe in, to bless you and not curse you. To make him happy with you. So he'll give you good stuff. Every religion does that. That's why Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. But that's not what you're talking about here. These good works that he's talking about are not good works to get God to bless you. That's not the issue. But rather, they are good works because God has blessed you. You all see the difference between that? One is you're trying to do something good to get God to bless you. The other is God blesses you and you do something good. Now, another fact about these good works we need to keep in mind is that they are not things, just things we would consider to be, you know, good and helpful behaving ourselves, so to speak. No, they are pleasurable duties, pleasurable responsibilities. Those are good. It's a good thing. Not something to be looked at as an obligation or duty, but something to be looked at as a privilege. Now, let's put back in context here. You who are born again. You who were crucified with Christ, buried with him, and raised up a brand new person, just like Madison demonstrated in the baptism. That's already happened. That happened by grace, not any good works we do. God makes you a brand new person. But what does that brand new person do now? Now that you're a brand new person, what kind of life are you going to live? The old lifestyle we have a tendency to fall back into of law and lies will make you religious. But the new lifestyle of grace and truth will lead you into a life of pleasurable activities, good works.
Now, what are these good works? I want to kind of explain a little bit to you today what kind of works he's talking about here. What does he mean by God has ordained good works for you to walk in? He's talking about what you're going to do in your life throughout your lifetime. Jesus first mentioned these good works in a different context on the night before he was crucified when he told his disciples, look, I'm leaving you. I'm going back to the Father and I'm leaving you here. And I want you to stay here and I want you to love one another like I have loved you. You see, you loving one another like Jesus loves us is an all-encompassing idea of the good works that God has ordained for you. He even called them. Of course, his disciples freaked at that moment. And I'm not sure they really understood or heard what he went on to encourage them with. But he said, look, whoever believes on me, that's you, whoever believes on me, and is saved by grace through faith, apart from their works, have received the gift. The works that I do, Jesus said, shall he do also. What? Yeah. The works that Jesus did while he was here on this earth, in plain sight, with a multitude of witnesses. The works that he did shall you do also. You're going to do his works. Not only that, he went on to say, and greater works than these shall he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, the good works we're talking about are obviously the works that Jesus did and that we're going to do. Now, I don't want you to get carried away with this, but you're going to be doing the same thing Jesus did throughout your lifetime. And God has ordained you to do that, meaning it's not up for grabs. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But you're going to be doing the same works Jesus did. Well, what kind of works did he do? Think about it. You're actually going to feed the multitudes. You're going to heal the lame. You're going to open the eyes of the blind. And you're going to raise the dead. That was the work I wanted more than anything. <laughs> Back in the early 70s when religious folks were all caught up and talking about spiritual gifts. And most of them were hung up on speaking in tongues. And, and by the way, I never did see, they called it a tongues movement, but during that time, I never did see a giving movement. Did you know that? But that's a gift. I never did see a mercy movement, but there was a big tongues movement, so everybody was wanting to speak in tongues, primarily to prove they were a Christian, or they were better than other Christians. But anyhow, I digress here. 
during that time, I said, all right, I want the best gift possible. And I couldn't think of a better gift than to be able to raise the dead. Can you? Let me think about that. You know, I had this vision of walking in a hospital and waiting for somebody to die and then raise them up. Or going to a mortuary during a funeral service and raise them up out of that casket. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? And I was thinking, ah, I want to raise the dead. Of course, the Lord put a kibosh on that thinking right away when he said, you're not ready to die yet. If you started raising the dead, you'd be dead in a week. He said, oh, okay. But he gave me another meaning that's more, more in keeping with what he's saying here about being ordained unto good works. In fact, I had the privilege today of raising the dead. Did you know that? You guys watched it, didn't you? Now, I didn't do it physically. Thankfully, Madison hadn't died yet. Okay? That's good. But I did it spiritually. You see, all of the physical miracles and works that Jesus did while he was here on this earth were all signs. They were pointing to a reality he wanted us to see. And that reality was a spiritual value of what he alone can do. Take the feeding of the multitudes. Remember, he fed 5,000 men plus their wives and kids from one little boy's kid's meal. Miraculously fed and satisfied the needs of all those people, probably 15,000 people. He fed the multitude miraculously. You see, when you do the works that God has ordained for you to do, you're going to participate in feeding the multitude. Not with that food that perishes, but that food that endures unto eternal life. When you help someone see the reality of their worth as a person, what God has done for them they couldn't do for yourself, you've effectively opened the eyes of the blind. When you encourage someone to live out the reality of God's grace working in their life, you are, in effect, healing those who are lame. When you reach out to the social outcasts that nobody else wants anything to do with, you are cleansing the lepers. See, there's a spiritual reality to each one of those works Jesus did, which is why he said that you're going to do greater works than these. Why? What do you mean greater works? How can you get greater than those miracles Jesus did? It's greater in the sense you're going to be doing it longer. Now think about this. Jesus did those works publicly here on this earth 
for about three, three and a half years. Really, that's not very long. Then he ascended back to the Father. And he left you here to continue those works. See, what he was concerned about was not the physical miracles he did. He was concerned about the spiritual reality behind them. When he fed that multitude, he was concerned about you believing and sharing with others that he and he alone can satisfy your deepest needs for worth as a person. We opened the eyes of the blind. He was illustrating how he and he alone can teach you, lead you, guide you into all truth through his comforter, the Spirit. These are the works of Jesus. So obviously, the good works that we have been ordained by God to do throughout our life, this new lifestyle we're living, are the works of Jesus. Now, once we have an understanding, or at least we begin to understand the nature of the work he's called us to, there's another aspect we have to focus in on. And that is the work of Jesus was always in relationships. That is, it was relational. It had to do with people. Now, I can think of a lot of, quote, good works that we might engage in, but they really don't have anything to do with people. His works were relational in nature. And what I mean by that is they fulfilled that new command he left us with, and that is to love other people like Christ. So the good works that you're ordained to do is going to be an expression of God's love for the people around you. You're going to be the vehicle by which God uses to love others like Christ. In short, you're going to be Christ to other people. Everybody follow me on that? This is important. You are going to be the Christ that other people see and touch here on this earth. Those are the good works that God has ordained for us to do. Now, one other thing I want to talk about, and we'll close this, and that is God has ordained these good works for you to do, which means you don't have a choice. You're going to do them. Now, if you don't freak about that too bad, it can actually be a source of comfort to you to know you don't have a choice, okay? God ordained them. God planned them. God said you're going to do them, and you're going to do them because he's God and you aren't. Now, some people get offended at that because they say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. God gave me a free choice. So it's really my choice whether I want to do these works that God ordained that I should do. No, that's not what he said. 
He said, you're going to do these works because God ordained them. And when people get all wrapped around the axle about their free choice and God not giving them a choice in the matter, they need to stop and consider this. That if you realize that God has ordained these good works for you to do, you can relax. You don't have to make them up. You don't have to think about them. You are going to do them because God said you're going to do them. It's part of his plan. But again, people get all bowed up about that and say, no, 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 I have a free choice in this matter. Well, your free choice is a lot like the prophet Jonah and his free choice. You remember the story of Jonah, right? The prophet that God called to go preach. His good work was to go preach a message to a city named Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was an Assyrian city. And the Assyrians, back in those days, made ISIS look like Sunday school kids. They were the terrorists of the ancient world. So much so that they even skinned their enemies alive. Think about that a minute. And God told Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. Jonah preached. He said, oh, no, man. These are terrorists. They're going to skin me alive. Uh-uh. I ain't doing that. So Jonah freely chose to go buy a ticket on a boat that was going to Tarsus opposite of Nineveh. He freely chose now to go buy that ticket. He freely chose to get all his luggage together and go load up on that boat, go in the opposite direction from Nineveh. He was using his free choice, remember? And when they ran into that hurricane out there, a big storm came up. Jonah freely chose to confess to all the men and the sailors in the boat that it was his fault. Because God wanted him to go to Nineveh, and he didn't want to, and that's why they ran into the storm. So he began to realize what his free choice was doing to him and doing to others. So he freely chose to confess that to the men and freely chose to have them throw him overboard. That was Jonah's choice. He said, throw me overboard. What is that choice? Jonah freely chose to commit suicide. Don't think he was going to tread water in a storm. He knew he was going to die. He just wanted, he didn't want to be skinned alive. He died drowning. So he freely chose to have them throw him overboard. Same thing as us freely choosing to commit suicide. But God had prepared a special fish, probably a pretty big one, because it swallowed him whole. And for three days and nights, Jonah sat in the whale's belly, freely choosing to die. Until after three days, that whale burped him on the beach. I can just see him all covered with seaweed, bleached white, and 
And it was at that moment when the whale burped him on the beach and he didn't die and he was still alive that Jonah freely chose to go to Nineveh and preach. See, our free choice is not out of the realm of God. God's sovereignty, because he is not only eminent but transcendent, goes way beyond our freedom of choice. Our freedom of choice is within his sovereignty. And really, you know what our freedom of choice does? It allows us to live comfortably or uncomfortably, depending on how you choose. Okay, But you're going to do what God called you to do. You either do it enjoying it, having a good time, or you do it uncomfortably, not knowing what you're doing, but you actually did it because he's God, we're not. So your freedom of choice is within the sovereign realm of God, God himself. You can't get outside of God. Whatever's outside of God is God. Well, why am I going through all that? Because I want you to understand what God has called you to do, the good works he has ordained for you to walk in, are not something that's bad for you. It's not something that's going to hurt. It's not something that you don't want. It is something that is the best possible life you can live on this earth. It's what he wants. Why? Because of his great mercy and his great love. He has ordained you for good, pleasurable, enjoyable works. That's what your life is about. Doing the works that God has ordained. And it's, yes, your freedom of choice is still involved. But it's kind of like, you know, the choice you have going from point A to point B. You can either ride in the front seat of the pickup, listening to tunes and enjoying the AC while you get there. Or... You can choose, if you want to, to ride in the back of the pickup, bouncing around in the heat, but you're still going to get there. Or you can even choose not to go at all and get dragged behind the pickup. That choice is yours. How you're going to do those good works, it's up to you. You're going to enjoy it or not? See, when we choose to exercise our freedom of choice, to let God take charge, our life becomes so much easier and more enjoyable. That's why I like the first third step of the program, the AA program. We turn our will, our choice, and our lives over to the care of God. Now, these good works that we've been called to do are specific works that God has ordained you to do, and only you can do them. Now, I'm not saying only you can do those kind of works. I'm saying only you can do the specific works that God has involved in you. I don't know what they are. You know, it can be as simple as what Jesus mentioned in his Sermon on the Mount of giving a cup of cold water in his name to someone in need. Those good works that God has led you and has prepared for you to do, 
and ordained for you to do are all going to involve loving other people, just like Christ. They're all going to involve doing the works of Jesus, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And is it difficult? At times, I've got to say, yeah, it's difficult. Then why would you do it? You know why you would do it? Because you enjoy doing it. Not out of fear, but out of faith and joy, hope. You're going to love other people and do those good works. So this lifestyle that we're called to, this lifestyle of grace and truth, has specific activities and works that we're going to do that are enjoyable to us and will love other people. In fact, I've learned over the years that the times I feel the best, the times I feel the most contentment, the times I feel the most joy in my life are the times God uses me to love somebody else besides me. They're good works which he before has ordained that we walk in them. Let's close in prayer. Father God, as we come in your presence right now, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege that we have, Father, of walking the way your son Jesus walked, for the privilege and the calling that you've given us, and the simplicity of just loving other people like you did. We thank you for the privilege of being used in you, of you to accomplish that. And we ask you to continue to teach us now, continue to lead us according to your spirit in your time for your honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Appreciate you all being here today. Go thank you peace. again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 